if it's not fair for Adam to represent you in condemnation and death, it's also not fair for Jesus to represent you in justification and life. The end of Adam's sin was death. The end of Jesus's righteousness counted to your account is life. That's who our God is, one who delights in crediting to your sinful account the righteousness of his perfect son. Welcome to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. In between the Rise campaign sermons that Pastor Blake had preached and the, the sermons that we're going to preach on this summer, as we typically do in the summer, preach through the Psalms. We're taking two weeks to do a mini, mini series. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's, it's mini, mini on a relationship between something in the Old Testament and something in the New. We saw that last week because it was Pentecost Sunday and made the connection between Pentecost and the Tower of Babel. And this morning, we are going to be uh, relating to seemingly very different passages Uh, that of what Nathan Duke had read earlier from Genesis 18 and the passage we're looking at right now. So if you're willing and able, would you please stand and join me uh, as I read through Romans 5, 12 to 21 at the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and then you say thanks be to God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin, indeed, was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift of God is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more 
will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespassed to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's, disobe- by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Have you ever had a really sick child or grandchild? I don't mean just kind of cold or flu. I mean really sick. Like pneumonia. Or an injury, like a dog bite that was really severe. Or maybe, maybe Kawasaki's disease. Have you ever had that? And then even if you haven't, you could still picture it. When we do experience that, we often think or even pray, Lord, why couldn't it be me? Why couldn't it be me suffering through this? instead of my child? Why can't I trade places with them? Have you ever actually thought about that sentiment? That's a very strange, but very human impulse to want to trade places. There's only a couple of places in nature where we ever see that. I mean, if you, if you think about all of the, the nature videos and it's always some sort of cat chasing after the impalas or something like that, and who gets eaten? It's the weakest and the slowest impala. You never have the biggest impala kind of turn around and say, oh, Mr. Lion, eat me instead. It's a, it's a strange but uniquely human impulse to want to trade places. Why do we have that impulse? One of my maybe top 10 movies is The Last of the Mohicans. Have you guys seen this? 1992, it has Daniel Day-Lewis in it. And the soundtrack is amazing. Um, actually, I think the soundtrack's a lot better than the movie. Because if you take away the soundtrack, eh. But, so this movie was based upon an 1826 novel by James Fenimore Cooper. And if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, I'll just kind of tell you the story a bit. It was 1757, and a British army major by the name of Duncan Hayward, he arrives in Albany, New York, and he is stationed at this fort during the French and Indian War. Well, Major Hayward is assigned really to the care of the two daughters of his his commanding officer. And those two daughters are Cora and Alice. And his job is to kind of get them back to 
their father. Now, before they leave and take their journey, Major Hayward asks Cora to marry him. Unfortunately, he doesn't get the response that he wanted because Cora declines him, falls in love with another man, and maybe a little bit in the movie, flaunts it. And after a lot of plot twists and turns and other things happening, both of the daughters, Cora and Alice, as well as Major Hayward, they are caught by the Indians. And the Indians decide that the girls should be condemned to die by fire. And that due to his bravery, Major Hayward was to be returned to the British Army. But Major Hayward, he had a request. And his request, knowing that there had to be some to be executed, he requested for he himself to take Cora's place and for Cora to be let go. And his request was granted and Cora was saved. Now, for most of the movie, Major Hayward, I mean, he, he was the antagonist. He was selfish and cowardly. He was backstabbing. But at the moment of his self-sacrifice, when he gives up his life for a woman that rejected him, and as he is in the fire about to perish, he becomes an admired hero. It takes all of the viewers' emotions about this fellow and says, ah, oh, what a sacrifice. What a man to be able to do that. Now, if a supremely flawed character like Major Duncan Hayward, supremely flawed, can be seen as a hero by having his life count for another's, how much more so a perfect character? That's what we see in today's passage. So we'll be looking at three overall points here. We're going to look at Romans 5. We're going to look at Genesis 18, and we're going to ask, how do the two relate? But just walking through it, as you look in your bulletin, in the Romans passage, you see it's in three different paragraphs, and that's how I'm going to be talking about it now. So the first paragraph in Romans 5, what we see is that sin and death entered the world through mankind's representative, Adam. Sin and death entered the world through mankind's representative, Adam. If you take a look here, how it starts out in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What this is stating for us is almost like a genetic defect. You know how there are a number of genetic defects that you have that not you have individually. I didn't mean that personally. But there are genetic defects out there so that if the dad has it and the mom has it, there's a guarantee that the child will have it, right? 
Well, this is a lot like a genetic defect, except it's a spiritual genetic defect. Because Adam sinned and received death, therefore, all of his, all of his progeny, all of his descendants are going to be born as sinners, and as a result, they will die. So sin and death came through Adam. And look down as well in verse 14. It says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So in other words, death still reigned from Adam to Moses before God gave the Ten Commandments, before he gave the law, because people still have a conscience and they broke the law of God that's on their hearts. So death still reigned in that time, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So this last part of it, that their sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. That is, you and I sin, those in between the time period of Adam and Moses, they sinned, but it's not of the same quality as the sin of Adam. Because if you think back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God verbally said to Adam, Adam, do not eat of this tree. You can eat of all the other trees. Do not eat of this tree. And sure enough, he did. And here in verse 14, the scripture also says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Now, Adam being a type, that's a, a type or a pattern or even a paradigm of the one who was to come. Now, who is that? Adam was a type of Christ Jesus. So he was a pattern or a paradigm of Christ who was to come. Now, how in the world is Adam a type or a pattern for Christ? Because Adam sinned. And he fell into death. And Jesus himself was sinless. How is Adam a type? He's a type in this way. When God set up everything in the garden, he set it up for Adam to be yours and my and all of humanity's singular representative. He was your representative. He was my representative. In the same way, for all those who were in Christ, Christ is their representative. The way that you get into Adam's family is just you're born into it. You, get the, you got the genetic defect. The way that you get into Christ's family is one thing. Faith. Faith in him. That's it. Adam's family leads you eventually to death. Christ's family eventually leads you to life. And so you can see that Adam is a type of Christ. He's very different than Jesus, but he was a type in that he was a representative now, whenever I've explained this to people in the past, 
probably the most common response that I've gotten is this. Well, that's not fair. And honestly, I really love that response. Um, whenever, I was, <laughs> whenever I was in college ministry, the, the American students were always the ones who go, well, that's not fair. Like, I didn't vote for him. And it was always the Chinese students who go, okay, that sounds about right. But I thought it was interesting, right? That that's not fair. Our immediate impulse is, well, I didn't vote Adam to be my representative. And there's, there's truth to that, yeah? I mean, at the time that Adam was, was our representative, I mean, the dude was running around naked. No one would vote for a president like that. He's not even speaking the same language as us. So, why is it fair that he's your representative? Well, the first, first reason it's fair is, well, God said it's fair. The second reason is, Adam was, let's say, morally more supreme than you and me. Because Adam didn't have a fallen nature. He was not born, not created a sinner. In the garden, he was not inclined towards sin like you and me and everyone else in humanity. So, lest we think too much of ourselves and think, oh, I would have chosen differently. If Satan can deceive Adam and Eve who were not inclined to sin, what do you think Satan could do for, to those who actually are inclined to sin? The last reason, is it fair for Adam to represent you? The last reason the answer is yes, is this. If it's not fair for Adam to represent you in condemnation and death, it's also not fair for Jesus to represent you in justification and life. If you're unwilling to have Adam as your representative, in the bad, it also means that you're unwilling to have Jesus as your representative in the good. So, is it fair? Well, it's the way that it is. And honestly, without Adam being our representative, we wouldn't have a representative named Jesus that we can run to and find salvation. So, I think it, it turns out pretty good. So, that's the first point. Sin and death entered the world through mankind's representative, Adam. Now look at the second paragraph. This is where we see righteousness and life entered the world through Christ. Righteousness and life entered the world through Christ. Look there at verse 15 with me. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It's showing the difference here that what Jesus earned is very different than what Adam earned for you. What Adam earned for you was sin and death. And I want to make this really clear. Probably, in our circles, it's very, most people, I think, understand original sin, right? We understand that we are, we sin because we're sinners. Not we're sinners because we sin. 
We sin because we're sinners, because we're born with a sinful nature. We're born with a sinful nature because we're spiritually related to Adam. But not only that, it's the case that Adam actually earned this for you. There's a lot of speculation in the biblical literature asking the question, what if Adam and Eve hadn't disobeyed in the garden? What if? Now, some of that, you know, theologians, they can just get to writing and writing, and it's fun, and sometimes they just kind of hang out in the ivory tower a little too much. But I will say, I'm, I'm quite convinced, if Adam and Eve had not eaten of the fruit and obeyed God because they were the representatives of the human race, we would all be alive and living forever right now. There wouldn't be a new tree every generation because God works through representatives. He did that all in the Old Testament. Whether it's Adam or Noah or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he's always working through representatives. So Adam earned us sin and death when he could have earned us life. Jesus, by living a perfect life, by being the representative, he earned all in his family life. And look at the key point here. Not only did righteousness and life enter the world through Christ, at the end of verse 15, it is the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. The way that you get into the new family is an absolute free gift. It's absolutely free. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be your own representative. There is a man who is God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he can be your representative before the Father if you would but believe on him. That's it. That's the gift. And down at the end of verse 17, the free gift of righteousness, reign, and life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The end of Adam's sin was death. The end of Jesus' righteousness counted to your account is life. Spiritual life now and in eternity, physical life. Soul and body. The third point here, in the third paragraph, there are two groups of people with two different representatives. Those condemned in Adam and those justified in Jesus. We've seen this in what I've spoken about previously. There's one trespass, if you look at it in verse 18, one trespass that leads to condemnation for all men. One act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Now, this isn't saying that Adam earned death for everyone and therefore Jesus earned life for everyone. Because in previous places, it's even talked about in verse 17, previously in chapter 5, that the way you get in is by faith. Faith and faith alone. But it is saying that God took Adam's disobedience and credit it to your account. So not only are you born a sinner because of original sin, Adam's sin theologically is imputed to you. 
it is negatively credited to your account. So not only do you have your own sin to deal with, you have the guilt of Adam's sin hoisted upon you. And probably all of us, when I first heard of this doctrine, I thought, well, I don't want that. But a very kind pastor walked me through it and said, oh, but it's okay, Scott. If you believe upon Jesus, then not only do you have your sin, individual sin, forgiven, you have Jesus' righteousness credited to your account, imputed to you, and it completely undoes all of Adam's bad credit. Two groups of people, two different representatives, Jesus and Adam, and it leads to different things. Now, that's the brief overview of Romans 5, 12 to 21. This is a massively important passage because it helps us understand a lot of what we see in the New Testament and it defines clearly how God sees humanity in two groups. Those in Adam who are condemned and those in Jesus who will reign with Jesus forever, who are forgiven. So let's turn our eyes then and turn your bulletins back to the passage on page two, Genesis 18, and the passage of Sodom and Gomorrah. And really kind of the question of the passage is, can they be spared? Can the people of Sodom and Gomorrah be spared? And we see this in, in the problem, starting in verse 20. It says, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. A lot of times people use this passage to, to make an inference. Um, and it, it's a reasonable inference, but the reason that Sodom and Gomorrah are being destroyed is only for their homosexual acts. Now, the Bible does talk about that previously in Genesis 18. Certainly the case. But I just want to point out that God destroys lots of cities and civilizations that don't have anything to do with homosexuality as well. You remember Jonah? This is like our favorite prophet, right? He goes to Nineveh and preaches to Nineveh, or he reluctantly goes to Nineveh, and eventually... The people in Nineveh repent, and they're saved. And you know what? Within 40 years later, God completely destroys the Ninevites. Not one is left because of their sin. Didn't have anything to do with homosexuality. Are you talking about the Assyrians or the Babylonians? Ones that we see again and again where entire civilizations are wiped out. It's just that their sin is grave, as it says in verse 20. Not all sin is equal. It's not. But all sin equally condemns. It does. And in God's eyes, certainly not all sin is, grave, is as grave. He would see the killing of a human life certainly different than, let's say, a young son mouthing off at his dad. Those are both sins, right? 
Fortunately, we live in a country where not both of those are punishable by death. So the problem is, they've got grave, grave sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we move on to the solution. I'm going to read again verses 23 through 26. It says, Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? And then I love the way that Abraham, it's like he's trying to schmooze God here. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? The Lord says, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. So the solution is, if Abraham can find a bunch of righteous ones, God's going to spare the city for the sake of the righteous ones, right? It's great. Adam realizes what kind of cities they are. He goes back, well, would you do the same thing for 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, so on and so forth? The passage there in 33 closes it out this way. It says, and the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Why, in the middle of this discussion with God, did Abraham just stop at 10? Because you and I, we can see how this conversation is going, right? Lord, will you spare it for 50? Yeah. Will you spare it for 45? Yeah. How about 40? Sure. 30? I'll do that. 20? Yes. 10? Yes. Why did Abraham stop? Because Abraham knew he couldn't get down to the very bottom. Would you spare it for five, Lord? Yeah. Four, yes. Three, yes. Two, yes. One, yes. You know what this is? It's the doctrine of imputation. Will you spare an entire group of people, disobedient people, for the righteousness of the one? Will you do it? In some 2,000 years before Jesus was born, God is saying, I'll do it. I will spare the sinful many who deserve death on account of the righteousness of the one. That's who our God is, one who delights in crediting to your sinful account the righteousness of his perfect son. And it's taught all throughout scripture. So I'll pray that the Lord gives you eyes to see more of this beauty um, as you continue to study the Old Testament and we switch to the Psalms next week. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks that you delight in seeing us in Christ actually in him. That he, his righteousness is credited to our account and that we are no longer found in Adam. We thank you that the principle holds true, that this impulse in us to want to take another's place has its impulse in you. Now help us as we continue to worship through the supper. Through Christ we pray, amen.